0: Welcome to the Grief Dreams Podcast. Thank you everyone for joining us once again for uh, some talk about people's life and their journey and their grief and the dreams they, they've had. And I just want to sort of give a thank you to all those listeners who keep listening and and sharing the information that they hear on this because the point of this is to help uh, ourselves and one another throughout our journeys. So today, I'm the host today, Sean Ram isn't, so I get to uh, do the one, this intro. So my name is Joshua Black, and I research grief dreams at Brock University. And so we usually have a guest host when Sean's not around, Jade Black, but she couldn't be here either. So we had to look long and hard to find someone good enough to replace these two. And we settled on the one and only Darwin Dave. And so Darwin Dave, if you guys remember, is from episode 18, where we first met him. And he talked about his own podcast, Dealing With My Grief. And then he came on the Father's Day episode, episode 37, and talked about Father's Day a little bit. And and that was coming up. So, Darwin, thank you for coming. Say hi to everyone.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me, Josh. Hello, everybody. And uh, I'm just glad that uh, you deemed that I was worthy enough to uh, grace the microphone with you. I'm actually looking forward to this episode.
0: That's good. Yeah, I, uh, I have high hopes for you. So please don't let me down. <laughs> please don't do it. <laughs> so I'll today, try to. Yeah, <laughs> so today we have Shelby Forthicia, uh, who is an intuitive grief guide and host of the podcast Coming Back Conversations on Life After Loss. After her mom's death in 2013, she became what she calls a student of grief, and now writes, speaks, and teaches others about the transformational power of grief and loss. Shelby is a certified grief recovery specialist and Reiki practitioner. So welcome, Shelby, to the podcast.
2: Thanks so much, Josh. And hello, Darwin. I'm so excited to be here with you two today.
0: So do you know Darwin?
2: I do. Well, I'm uh, kind of a fan of both of your podcasts, and I listen. This is kind of like meeting celebrities for me. So I listen to both <laughs> podcasts every single week when they come out, because as part of doing the research for starting my own grief podcast, I listen to all the grief podcasts that exist on iTunes. Uh, and then if I really like them, I keep listening. So you two are in there for sure for me.
0: Wow. Oh, I'm honored to be a part of your list.
1: You're about I to love make it. me cry. I love it. Yeah. I, it's, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sometimes just a little, you know, a little encouragement goes a long way. <laughs> and so let's, let's, you know, begin with talking about, we'll talk about your podcast and, you know, what you're doing there. Cause I think that's exciting and the format you have, but let's first talk about your relationship with your mom um, that you had growing up with her and maybe how old you were when she passed away.
2: Yes, that's a really good place to start. Um, I like to tell people that I had kind of a very, idyllic childhood. My parents never got divorced. I lived in the suburbs. I was able to be in things like theater and piano lessons and art lessons and all the things that that parents aspire to have and create for their kids was actually a reality for me and my sister. And it was that way up to about like my teens. And then of course there's the parent friction that always happens when you're a teenager and those kind of the pulling away from my mom. Um, And then that friction was kind of compounded when I came out of the closet as pansexual in 2010. This is the first year that I went to college, so I was a freshman in college. Um, And immediately after that, the summer after that, was kind of when things within our family started falling apart. And it wasn't because I came out of the closet. It was because my dad had been diagnosed with two uh, brain aneurysms. And this happened about two years before my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. So there was this big chunk of my life the entire time I was in college practically where both of my parents were in and out of the hospital and dealing with things that may or may not kill them. And I was away at school because that was their one wish was for me to stay in school Um, and for my sister to stay in school as well. She's in high school at the time. And it just put a huge strain on all of our relationships and the quote unquote normal uh, pattern that should quote-unquote happen when you start remerging with your parents and seeing them as adults like that never really got to happen especially between me and my mom because she died uh, and she died when I was 21 and and what had happened there it was it was kind of a crazy situation she she went to have a mammogram she got diagnosed with breast cancer it was absolutely earth-shattering my sister and I were both home for summer vacation and that fall she went through chemo and radiation to shrink the tumor she had uh, a mastectomy on her left side And then in the following January of 2013, she was declared cancer-free and we had this huge party because finally after three years of both my dad and her being out of the hospital, we were done with people bringing us casseroles. We were done with carpools to Duke Medical Center. We were done with, you know, people sending us sympathy cards and gift cards to Walmart for groceries in the mail. Like we were finally out of the woods with all of this. And so my parents actually went on a vacation uh, on their anniversary with a program called Little Pink Houses of Hope. They got to go to... um, St. John or St. Thomas, I don't remember, but they went to those like tropical islands and got to do a lot of things that they hadn't done before. And then in November of that year of 2013, this was my senior year in college, I uh, came back from a scholarship trip in New York and there was a voicemail on my phone when the plane touched down. And my mom had been like sick and kind of coughing for a while, but we know that chemo lowers your immune system. And so we thought maybe she'd caught a cold or had pneumonia or something like that. and the message was my dad and they had taken her into the hospital and he's like they think something's up with her heart with her lungs we're not really sure what's happening and then i called him and when i got him on the phone i found out that it was even worse news it was that her cancer had returned and had metastasized to her heart to her lungs to kind of her entire chest and her lungs were filling up with fluid and there wasn't a lot that they could do to stop it um, and she went through one surgery right around Thanksgiving. I believe I was in exams at the time. I was still, like, trying to juggle school and all of this at the same time. Um, and then it, it got to we got to be in a place about a month later. I came home for winter break around December 12th or December 13th. I was done with finals. And, um, and my mom had come home, and she was hooked up to oxygen and was wheeling one of those tanks around our house. Our house had become like a hospital ward. It was very surreal. And, and her doctors had called back with, with news about her previous surgery and they said, it, it doesn't look as good as we thought it would. If you want to continue with surgeries, we can keep trying to get the cancer out of you. But with doing all that, it would only extend your life expectancy by a couple of months. It would not it would not fix anything in the long term. And at this point, I, I think both my parents were tired of of being in and around hospitals. There was a lot of pain that my mom endured that she and my dad both hid from me and my sister that, that she went through as a result of her having cancer and having all these surgeries. And and I just remember her getting off the phone with the doctor and she just looked at my dad and she's like, I'm ready to be done. And that was the, the 12th or the 13th. It was right after I came home for winter break. And she told my sister and I on the 19th of December, so about a week before Christmas, she said, I'm gonna stay here, we're gonna call in hospice. They said, you know, anywhere from a month to six months is what we have, but she was bound and determined because Christmas was her favorite holiday. She's like, I'm gonna live through Christmas and then we'll see what happens. And she was so upset. There's a, lot, there's a lot at play here. She was so upset because her mom had also died when she was 22. So she knew, she looked at me and my sister and I remember this so, so vividly. She's like, I don't wanna die because I know what you're about to go through. I have lived this life already, and I don't want to pass on this legacy to my girls. And um, I remember hospice brought in nurses. They brought in meds to keep her comfortable. They brought in hospital beds. So she wasn't even sleeping in her bed anymore, and she had people come in, and one of our pastors came in and did communion. She had a friend who did healing touch and came in and did a ceremony with her. Uh, just a lot of people in and out of the house. It was very, very surreal. And the entire time I was 21 years old, so I was on Tumblr and on Twitter and on my phone and texting my friends and being like, I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm dying. And we moved Christmas Day up to the 23rd so that she would be able to remember it because we found that her lucidity was slipping very, very fast. When she found out she was going to die, it was like her body agreed. And we lost her a lot faster than we thought we would. And she probably spoke her last words on Christmas day that we created on the 23rd of december and then she waited until the day after christmas to die she died on the 26th so it was just and it has been up to this day the most intense pain i have ever experienced in my entire life i remember i couldn't figure out where pardon me where to put the anger so i would i literally would lock myself in the Passenger seat of my dad's truck that was parked and off in the garage and I would just scream. I would scream until I couldn't like Make noise or have a voice Anymore, and it was it's just been the most surreal and bizarre and painful experience of my entire life
1: So uh, let me ask you a question while all this is going on is there anything that you were doing to either physically or maybe even mentally prepare for her death and the time that you would have to spend without her?
2: Mm. That's a good question. I almost feel like we didn't have time to. Like we thought we were going to have anywhere from like a month to six months remaining. I did a couple of things. I know to get out the anger besides screaming, I ran a lot. I had gotten back into running in college, and I, even though it was December in North Carolina, I would just put like eight sweatshirts on and go running. And almost just like get that energy moving in my body because I felt like it was stuck and there was no room for it. Um, I remember I did have one conversation with her on one of the days that she had stopped talking. I remember I just pulled a chair up next to her bed in the room and I and I made I made some promises to her. Um, I don't you know it's funny I don't exactly remember what they are at this moment but I knew that I was getting ready to live a life without her physically in it and. Um, I made three promises. I think I said I I promised to sing, I promised to laugh, and I promised to keep going. And, yeah, that that was the biggest way I think I prepared for her death. In terms of mentally preparing, all I could really do was check in with my dad and check in with hospice in terms of getting timelines and just, like, expectations. But other than that, it was very, like, I feel like it all happened so fast. We were all just trying to roll with the punches. Like, literally, hospice moved in, and in a week she was gone. Like, that's not how it's
1: supposed to go. As far as you said you had come out as being pansexual, and I know in listening to your podcast that you've also gone through some other things in your personal life between you and, I guess, your ex-fiance. And I know one of the episodes in your podcast, you talked about how either your mom hadn't accepted the fact that you had chosen to marry the person that you had married. Was there any unresolved conflict as far as that goes between you and your mom at the time that she passed? And if so, oh. how have you dealt with that?
2: Oh, absolutely. That's a great question as well. My mom, this has been my biggest source of pain, not even that she died, but that she died without seeing all of me in that sense. I remember our last fight more than I remember our last conversation. And that's because it happened in a prom dress store that also happened to have wedding dresses in it. And we were talking about me potentially getting married one day and she was raised Catholic and was very firmly, no longer really Catholic per se, but was very Christian and worked for our church and our community and, and firmly believed that God believed that homosexuality was a sin, that it could be a phase, that it was some millennial thing I was going through maybe, um, and that I would not be getting into heaven because of it. And she was she was scared for me, but the way that we both expressed that was by fighting with each other. and. Um, the last fight we had was about me getting married. And she was like, well, who are you going to get married to? And I was dating a, a woman at the time. And uh, she said, you know, if it's a woman, your father and I won't be there. And, and this just went on and on and on and on and on. And I feel like I carry so much pain from that experience. It's been a lot of, and this is where dreams come in, which I know that we're going to get to later. But it's been a lot of continuing to talk to her as, as I've continued living without her. Um, there have been people I've dated, of course, since she's died, in the four years that she's died, and there have been signs that I see from her, things like birds or finding pennies or money or palindromes like numbers, um, because M O M, mom, is a palindrome, and so I find numbers like three two three or four two four or one two one a lot, and see those in the universe or with partners that I'm dating, and I'm like, oh, there she is, and so I think she finds ways to make herself known of approving my relationship in ways, but yes, I still long for that verbal confirmation, which I know I won't receive in this lifetime.
1: Yeah, I've been through sort of similar experience when I lost my grandfather, but there are other people who were able to, I guess, sort of channel his, um, I guess, his attitude through themselves in terms of letting me know that maybe what he might have said might not have been what he ultimately felt in his heart. So in talking to people like, I guess, maybe your father, who may have known her the most, was there any indication that she might have come around to ultimately accept who you were and the choices that you made?
2: Um, you know, the person who actually provides the most clarity on that is my mom's sisters. Um, she has a lot, a lot of sisters, but there are two sisters she is the closest with, and they are my sisters and my godmothers, respectively, and have been charged with mothering us as we go through the rest of our lives. And... Uh, one of them lives out in California and is also an intuitive. And she and my other godmother, who's an artist, both remind me every single time that I see them. They're like, she would have come around. It would have taken time, but she would have come around because she loves you. And, and they have already, they're already on the train. Like they were on board the day I came out. They, they were like, we know it's going to be a, an issue of conflict between the two of you. Um, but because my one aunt lives in California, you can't really not be <laughs> accepting of queer folk if you live in California. And then, of course, my other aunt was, was a little uh, less religious or less, like, institutionalized religious. And so things like being gay um, or, like, other social issues were not an issue for her. So they were already on board. And I guess the biggest tell, you did bring up my dad, the biggest tell was when earlier this year, uh, in March, I was engaged to be married to a woman. And... I called my dad. I was most nervous about calling my dad because he and my mom were on the same vein. They're in the same vein there of not accepting my sexuality. And when I called him to tell him, I was extremely nervous um, about what would happen. And he was like, well, you love her, right? And I was like, yeah, I, I really do. I really do. And he was like, well, then I'm really happy for you. And it was just this moment, I immediately started crying. It was just this moment of like the sky cracking open and (laughs) the birds were singing and the sun was shining. And I'm like, oh my God, there it is. You know, one half of the parental equation has that verbal confirmation. And so I think, you know, it may have taken four more years, but she hasn't been alive for it. And that's where the difference lies. But the acceptance is literally everywhere in her surviving legacy.
0: Do you think that your mom's passing opened him up to accepting you in that way? Because, like, grief can do different things, right? You talk about the transformational power. Do you think that was a reason that sort of prompted him to acknowledge and be supportive?
2: You know, I don't know. Um, My dad is a character who I have uh, not difficulty necessarily, but I know that I don't belong in all of his brain and all of his inner workings because I am his child. And uh, that's not something we've ever really talked about is why he came around I just know that he has so of course there's some speculation of do you think my mom's death has opened him up to a lot of things both like me living in Chicago you know me dating women like you know him starting to date again like it's grief opens you up to so many things and asks you what you want to be grateful for you know the next time around so I don't know I want to say yes but I really can't answer his questions for him I wish I could
1: so now, how is he doing health-wise?
2: He's doing better. He's um, He has some long-term consequences of having two brain aneurysms, and I don't say consequences like they were his fault that they manifested, but of course, if, if surgeons go digging around in your brain twice on opposite sides of your head and in different lobes of the brain and what have you, there's some, there's some long-standing consequences that he deals with. I know that he takes a lot of medications, including anti-seizure ones, and then of course, there's there's always memory problems and there are uh, issues of like balance and vertigo where he cannot, he can no longer work. So um, to my knowledge, he's been put on disability because he cannot function like a regular nine to five into retirement age like he normally would have. And that has been his own kind of grief to have to fill out all that paperwork to appear in court to deal with the health of his his brain alone. But these days he's been doing very well. He and I talk on the phone once a week.
1: Cool. Yeah, because I was just, you know, just sort of thinking as you were talking about the relationship between you and your mom and then, you know, your father saying he was happy for you, that maybe that was his way of trying to make peace with you from, I guess, from whatever happened between you and your mom, just to let you know that um, he still loved you. And that was, like I said, his way of reaching out and just accepting you for who you are.
2: Whatever it is, I am very, very grateful that that happened, because even though the engagement did break up, I know, I know those facts to be true going into the future, and I have a lot more confidence bringing home relationships now.
0: So let's talk about your grief. So you touched on a little bit how you became very angry, and you're screaming in your car. Was there something you were angry at, specifically, or was just just emotions of anger that were just going through you?
1: Mm
2: finding through grief that anger is my dominant emotion there's this whole series of published work on how the five stages of grieving is a bunch of crap and it's not because the stages themselves are crap it's because that people think they go in chronological chronological stages if you actually read um Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's book you find that the five stages are more like five categories of grieving where almost everything you're feeling can be dropped into one of these five but that they never progress linearly they always kind of come up and then they fade kind of like waves. So I found that surpri- I was very surprised to find that anger is my dominant emotion when it comes to grief. If I'm if I'm grieving, I'm not sad. I'm I'm angry. I'm just furious with the world. And um I think what I was most mad at was that I felt like I got ripped off. I felt like I got cheated because I, I instantly felt like a victim. I was like, I I am alone here. I am a motherless 21-year-old out here in the world still trying to find herself, and the one woman who's supposed to be guiding me through the rest of my life has just been taken. And I didn't choose this, and I didn't want this, and how dare you? So there was a lot of anger at God, and I didn't even really believe in God or the the Christian picture of God at this point, and that was really tricky to try and wrestle with that as well because I was just pissed that it happened at all, so I was mad at God or whoever... Was the higher power that people kept telling me things happened for a reason? I'm like, no, I don't. Agree. I don't agree with you there. And then the other anchor did come from from not being accepted by her, and then also not being seen. In that, I think my family, for of course understandable reasons, was all caught up so much in their own grief that they couldn't see my pain either. Um, and so when I would approach my family members would be like, I'm curious that she never accepted me before my di- before she died, they'd be like, But yeah she's dead. Like, that's what you should be angry about. I'm like, I'm allowed to be angry about whatever I want to be angry about. And then just going back to college and especially through graduation was the first big event we had to do without her. And, and seeing all my other friends with moms, taking pictures and stuff and, and taking them out to dinner and, you know, helping them move into their first adult jobs after school. I didn't have any of that. So yeah, I felt majorly ripped off, majorly ripped off.
0: And do you still get anger now when those events that you wanted your mom to be at can't be at, or is is it sort of like work through?
2: Both. I think. Uh, it depends on what they are and how big they are and and also kind of what headspace I'm in that day. But I there's also small bits there's always small bits of anger in in my present day to day of her not being able to be here um, because her resounding sentiment before she died was, I'm not done yet. She's like, I haven't seen so many things. I haven't done so many things. I'm not done with my mission on the earth. I'm not sure what she thought it was, but I think a lot of it was being here for her kids. She always wanted to be a mom. And so things like major moves, I mean, like I turned 25, which if you listen to my podcast, that's a big inside joke with my family, which is once you turn 25, you're considered an antique. And so that was a big running joke with her. And, and so missing that birthday and just missing me moving to Chicago and, and getting different jobs and starting my business, starting my podcast, which I know she would support. Just just missing her presence in my life in general. But, yeah, definitely on big events. And when that does happen, there are things that I do to remember her. There are, uh, there's a piece of jewelry that I got for myself, my sister, and my two aunts, her sisters. And it's a penny. It's a uh, ring that's got a penny on it, but it's shrunken down like shrinky dinks. I don't know how this jeweler made it happen, but, but she did. And uh, so we all wear these pennies on days that are hard or days that we miss her because my mom was definitely uh, all money is worth something. So if you see a penny on the ground, you pick it up and you have good luck for the rest of the day. And if you find dimes and nickels, that, that's even better. But she always had this love of small joys. So we always wear that on days where I'm especially missing her. And then, of course, um, I know Darwin talked about heirlooms on his most recent podcast, but there's jewelry I have of hers that I'll wear. There's a really big sweatshirt that I have a picture of her in when I was a baby, sitting in a stroller, and she's kneeling next to me in this sweatshirt, and she gave me this sweatshirt while she was still alive. So I walk around the house in that all the time as well when I'm missing her.
1: So one quick question, because I know in the latest episode of your podcast, and I guess we're playing tag here, you <laughs> talked about her leaving you and your sister, I guess, prepaid gifts, the first of which your aunt had given you. So given the fact that sometimes you get angry, do those? how do those gifts make you feel? And are you looking forward to whatever it is she's got planned for you in the future?
2: Oh, yes, I'm definitely looking forward to them. And if you didn't listen to my podcast, I'll just tell you in a really short nutshell that before my mom died, because she knew she was going to die, she had a chance to um, send both of my aunts, my sister and my godmother's, lists of Things to give us or like prepaid gifts on different special large occasions coming up in our lives. So my sister and I both received something the day that I graduated and then again when my sister graduated. And this is something I'm actually looking forward to because I, I treasure any communication I can get with her. And this will come up in in dreams as well when we start talking about that. But even if it's a nightmare, even if it's awful, any any time I get to interact with her energy, with her spirit, with her intention coming up in my life, I'm very excited about it and very grateful. I I get chills, which is my signal for this is really cool and this is really good.
1: Well, well Josh so, Joshua, I think you need to start asking her about these dreams because now I'm curious. Oh, you are curious, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But
0: before we get there, we got we gotta. I want to ask her a couple more different things. And so the first thing is. How did you get involved in being a grief recovery specialist? So you you went through this journey with loss and dealing with your own emotions. How did you then say, okay, now I want to help others. I want to get trained in this area.
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I actually, I was reading another book around the time that my mom died, and it was by Gretchen Rubin, who did The Happiness Project. She um, authored another book called Better Than Before. And there's a quiz in there where you can find four different personality types or tendencies that you lean towards. And my personality type is a questioner. And so I question everything that happens to me or that I'm told to do every expectation that comes my way. And so when I started grieving, and I was reading this book, I was like, I'm, I'm questioning my grief, I'm questioning what I need to do to get through it, I'm questioning how others have done it, just this whole array of, of questions that I had, I felt compelled to research it. And so I did. And I i got my first library card here in chicago and started reading a ton of books on it and reading blogs and websites and i came across this book called the grief recovery method handbook and i found this book and it was actually an action plan for moving through grief and loss and writing down things that you want to apologize for things that you need to forgive them for and things that you just want to say that you're grateful for that impacted your life and you're speaking directly to the person that you lost and walking through this program by myself and then with a trained practitioner who is a certified grief recovery specialist i it took away so much of the pain that was associated with the memories but i got to keep the memories that remained which were really cool because people are like if i work through my grief i'm going to forget all about them there's like this stigma of like if i go see a counselor and I talk my way through I'm not going to remember all these memories. I'm like, no, no, that's not how this program works. You just take away the pain that's associated with it, or you take away the weight of it, at least some of it. If you could get half, three quarters of this pain out of out of your heart, you'd feel like you're not carrying things that are so heavy. And going through this program was really instrumental for me. And I had been working some other jobs in Chicago, and I was on the the hunt for work again. And I was reading a totally different book related to grief, uh, and I had I had I heard this voice in the back of my head that said, well. Why don't you do this? If you keep reading about grief, you keep researching grief, and people keep telling you that you're helping them. Why don't you just make this what you're going to do next? And so I popped on my phone. I went to the Grief Recovery Institute's website, and lo and behold, uh, they were doing training to become a grief recovery specialist very soon in Illinois, not in Chicago, in a teeny tiny town called St. Charles. And believe it or not, that was the town that my parents got married in, and. That gave me chills and so I was like, I have to do this. And then when I scrolled down to the bottom of the page and looked, the day that I was on my phone looking at this was the last day that they were doing early bird registration. You could save, I think it was like a thousand dollars or something like that. And I was like, these are all my signs. The stars are aligning. I have to go and do this. And so now I'm trained in grief recovery, which is the program that helped me come back from my own loss. And so now I can help others one on one in groups and churches in their homes, however they'd like to be approached, come through their own losses.
0: Yeah, and I see that, you know, your gift shine through when you talk when you do your podcast. And so what then made you say, okay, now I'm trained, I want to do a podcast is just did it come naturally? Or did you also hear a voice to say, you know, you should, you know, I know you're listening to Darren Dave, but now you got to do your own sort of thing. Like, what happened for that, that leap?
2: You know what's funny is I actually started my podcast before I started listening to any other grief podcasts. It somehow didn't occur to me that there might be others out there. And so once I launched mine, I was like, oh, my God, I bet there's like grief brethren that are out there in the world that I can uh, band together with. But um, I, I've had this dream since I was a little kid of of speaking for a living. I started doing theater and stuff when I was three, and I have just had zero fear of the stage or being in front of people. I ha- I don't have that gene of, fear of public speaking. I've never had it, and my parents always thought that was such a cool gift, and I thought that was such a cool gift, but I didn't have, it's so bizarre to say, but I didn't have anything to really talk about until my mom died. And now that I have gone on on this journey and subsequent journeys of grief and loss and finding patterns of grief and loss through my entire life and seeing them in other people's lives, I'm like, now I have something to talk about. So I knew I wanted to talk, but I I thought maybe I started off doing Facebook live videos and I did those for about nine to 10 months just by themselves on my Facebook page before I even thought about doing a podcast. Um, And I kept telling people about my dream. I said, I want to talk and speak and write about grief and loss and, People are like, well, you should do a podcast. I'm like, ah, oh, that's too much work. And so people, are like, I have to speak and write and talk about grief and loss. And they're like, oh, you should do a podcast. I'm like, oh my god, okay. So finally, enough people said it that I'm like, okay, it won't hurt if I just sit down and research this. And again, with the questioner mentality, I'm like, I have to research everything. I have to make myself a student of podcasting. So I was contacting all my friends that had podcasts and said, what microphone do you use? What setup do you use? Do you do it in your house? Do I need a studio? Like, how do I get a toll free phone line to call in? And and how do I mix this and what software do you the whole thing like everything from software to to equipment and setting up and how to launch and and everything and it's been a lot of touch and go through the process a lot of learning after i release episodes and like oh i probably could have done something different there um, but that's really where it started and i just had this goal to start not not only telling my story which i do a bit on the show but to answer questions that people have about living life after losses happen and to share the stories of other people who have also come back from losses, because I know that there are infinite, infinite ways to come back. There are so many ways that we can come back from grief and loss. And I feel like if people don't just hear my story, but hear other people's stories, they can be like, that doesn't quite help me, but that really does. And things will start to resonate with them. So if they're feeling stuck or they're feeling lost or they're feeling lonely on this journey, they can be like, oh, they came back using this. Maybe, maybe I'll try that.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and I think you help a lot of people with the way you do it because, you know, like Darwin does it his own way. We do it our own way. And you have a unique way of also doing it. And I think that, you know, it speaks to, you know, who you are and and what you're looking to to get out of your own podcast. And so I think it's great that you have these questions that you're answering and then you're bringing on guests and then you're talking about your own journey. I think it's, it's amazing. And, you know, hopefully some of the listeners uh, that are listening to this will also tune in and check out some of your episodes and understand what you're what you're doing and you know how it can maybe be beneficial for them.
2: Yes. I would absolutely love that. I would absolutely love Beautiful. that. Yes. More sirens from my end. Yeah, yeah. You gotta love <laughs> side a
0: fire
1: home. I love it.
2: <laughs> Somebody told me once that every time you hear a siren, some kind of um epiphany is happening like some kind of leveling up is happening in your own life like spiritually so i've i've started to accept that instead of there's a disaster happening which of course there always may be when you hear sirens a lot lot of people have
0: i I used to play super Mario as a kid did you ever play super (laughs) mario (laughs) i like that it's like getting a mushroom (laughs) or something right All right, now that's just a good segue <laughs> to go to. Uh, let's talk about dreams, since I know we we only have you for you know maybe twenty more minutes. So, you know, have you had a dream of uh, your mom since she's passed?
2: Yes, and she actually shows up all the time, which is kind of kind of weird and annoying, and kind of cool. It kind of okay. just depends on how she manifests, um, and I think it's because I think about her so much in waking life, like I. There's not a single day that goes by that I don't think about something she would love to see or I find a penny or I hear a bird or a song or I write about her or somebody else in my life, like my sister or my aunts will text me something about her. So she's just very present. My mom is very top of mind for me all the time. And I even keep a picture of her like when she was my age at my podcasting desk. So right before I go to record, I'm always like channeling her spirit and like, what are we going to say to them today? So I posted in your Facebook group, Josh, about one of the first dreams I had about my mom, including uh, her favorite flower and something I love to do as a kid. And that's the very first dream that I had of her after she died. And I don't remember, I don't remember when I had this dream. It was definitely within the first six months of her dying though. And I remember being in the dream and I was in my home uh, where we lived in North Carolina. It was not in my, at my home in Chicago. I was definitely in North Carolina with her. And um And there were all these people coming through the front door, like all of our friends and family were arriving. We're throwing some kind of party. And I look down uh, on the dining room table and there's this huge uh, vase full of daffodils. And these are my mom's favorite flower. There used to be this yard right around the corner from us um, that would have these daffodils pop up every like March or April. And she would just be like, oh my gosh, spring is here. And she just loved those renewing symbols of things coming back to life. It was very, I think it was also a Christian symbol for her. They were so joyful and cheerful. She loved anything in the daffodil family. And there was this huge bouquet of daffodils in the center of the table. And I was like, oh my God, those are your favorite flowers. So appropriate. They're here. And I remember um, walking through the kitchen and entering the living room and my mom was asleep on the couch. And I was so just like, Touched by this picture. And somehow in the dream, I shrank down to being the size of my childhood self. So I was maybe like four, five, six. And what me and my sister like to do with my mom, especially in the afternoons when we'd get home from kindergarten or whatever, is like curl up right behind her on the couch and take a nap with her. And that's exactly what I did in the dream. I shrank down to my childhood self. And I like crawled right behind her. I knew there was a party happening in the other room and all our friends and family were coming. But I just like curled up right behind her and we both went to sleep. And that was the very first experience I had of her in a dream. And I was like, oh, I can still do this if I want to. I can still go back to this like energetic place if I want to. But she was just so present in that dream. She didn't even say anything. And it was very, very powerful. I woke up and I was like, oh, she's still here. You know, because there's so many days when you feel so distant from the people that you've lost that it seems impossible to ever feel their presence in your life again. And then you have dreams like that and it really just changes your world
0: well there are new moments in your life and i think you said you brought it up about fears that people have after loss that they don't that you know when you go through loss you may forget about them or you may not you don't have any Mm more memories so you don't want to lose the the other ones you want to forget about those memories but then you have these ones which bring back those memories to a new level and sometimes create new ones
2: yeah i never thought i'd get to create new memories um after she died but through these dreams i do and through the the occurrences of the numbers and the feathers and the pennies and the songs and and things like that. She's she's very insistent on making her presence known, and I think it's very funny.
0: (laughs) And so what has been your favorite dream? So I'm guessing you said you've dreamt Mm -hmm. a lot. So this was your first one. What's been your favorite one?
2: My favorite one is actually the one I have pulled up, I think, as a journal here. Let me see if I can find this. Oh, let's see. This was... um, January 20th, 2016. I'll read you my journal entry if you will indulge me for a moment. It says, a dramatic shift in tone and subject this morning. I had a magnificent dream last night. We were all planning a party. People from my whole life's journey were there. And I was standing in line with everybody else, waiting to get into this huge auditorium where the party was happening. When all of a sudden, mom, there was mom sobbed and I sobbed and I sobbed and ran straight into her open arms. And she was so solid and so strong, like she had never been sick and had never died. And her arms just enveloped all of me like a blanket. And there was nothing but love, love, love just pouring out of her. And you know what? I actually felt it. And I let it in. Wow,
0: that's beautiful. That's so beautiful.
1: That's great.
2: Yeah, that was, I woke up crying on that one for all the the right reasons. And this was definitely a dream. I think, I'm not sure what was happening before in these journal entries, but I was probably wrestling with my sexuality again and the fact that she never accepted it. It's kind of, it always bounces around in my head. But this dream was the first time I actually felt like she was saying that I was okay as opposed to her reassuring me that she was okay on the other side. Uh, or wherever she is now. Um, it was the first time I felt like she looked at me and was like my child, you know, how could I not love you? It was very, very cool. Very powerful. By far my favorite.
0: Wow. Yeah, know. I, I love it. And, and it's amazing. Like the different dreams people share and they come on here just in person with me or, or whatnot. And, just like this is this common theme about just love, right? And that's what you're feeling. Like in a dream, you're feeling love that maybe you've never felt even in Like there's a different type of love that you're feeling in those moments. And, you know, like I'm fascinated with that. but And I think it can do a lot of good inside us as we move to heal. And, you know, and I said like, and learn to love ourselves too, because you said like one of those things crushing to you was that she never accepted you. Um, as your full self and those moments like she has and you feel that like Mm -hmm. in that moment you felt whole because she saw you as whole
2: yeah that's that's exactly right i can't put better words to it than
0: that oh it's so amazing it always gives me like goosebumps hearing hearing about these dreams and like the the effect they can have on people as they move forward and so does your dad ever have any dreams like have you ever asked any of your relatives if they've had dreams
2: You know what's funny is I never have. I think that my sister may have shared some dreams with me once or twice, but what she and I mostly share in regards to my mom is pictures of us picking up pennies. So she'll just send me pictures on my phone, and I'll, like, get five or six of them a day because she finds so many more pennies than I do. She's very lucky. And it's just her little thumb and forefinger holding a penny on the street, and she'll tell me where she found it, where she's like, I'm at the food line or um, I'm at the Renaissance Fair where she's an actress. And just wherever she happens to find them. And then anything that ever reminds her of mom or she'll ask me questions. She'll be like, Remember well, that one song that she used to sing, where can I find that? And we actually went down a rabbit hole the other day of old um, old nursery rhymes or old church songs that we used to sing with her. Something, something like that. And we are trying to figure out what they're called. And so we're piecing together these memories of her together because they'll just pop into our brains.
0: Oh, that's cool. So you have your own sort of thing with your sister and how she stays connected and remembers your yes. mom that's cool yeah yeah i hear about that people you know finding dimes or finding pennies and relating that to their loved one and i think that's amazing because they find it in the weirdest places like what's the weirdest place you found a penny
2: mm, let's see a lot of weird places let's see <laughs> it's easy to find money in chicago because we're a big city and so a lot of people are always in their pockets especially downtown and so there's lots of coins on the street mm. Probably the craziest place I've ever found a penny. You want to hear a funny story? We, um, to honor my mom's memory, one of the places she wanted to go when she was done with chemo was the Redwoods in California. And she didn't get well enough and we didn't make time as a family to go before she uh, the cancer returned and she died. And so it was my idea, and I cleared it through my dad and my sister, that we would scatter her ashes in the Redwood Forest in California. So we went on this big family trip on the anniversary of her death the first year after she died and my aunts came and my dad's mom my grandmother came as well and we drove all the way from San Francisco up to the redwoods which is about 7 hours and the entire drive I kid you not every single rest stop we were at every single gas station we were at every single one of us found a penny every single one of us <laughs> and wow. we would and, and we got to the it got to the point where like at the third stop we got out of the car and my dad would go to pump gas and the other five of us were just eyes down on the sidewalk like where are they <laughs> <laughs> where are they so we looked like crazy people piling yeah. out of a car we all look like crazy people piling out of a car like we lost something but we hadn't been there yet so how could we possibly lose something but we're all scanning the ground for pennies and we found them you know by the gross gas station bathroom like by the bottom of the pumps like under the wheels of a car like they were just they were everywhere and they were following us the whole time and it was very very cool it was very cool well,
0: that's funny it's like but, a family thing i like that
2: it is a family so thing my, for sure sometimes my aunts will text and be like oh my god i found a penny today thinking of you and your mom so it's it's definitely a way that she's continued on
1: so my question is what are you doing with this, with this money you find are you like Ooh. saving it just like a competition to see who can find the most money <laughs> Well, what are you guys doing with
0: this stuff? What does mom love the most? Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I never even thought to ask anybody what they do with theirs, but I have a, um, I have a piggy bank in my room that I wait until it gets full of pennies or dimes or quarters or whatever I find and, and pick up, and then at the end of the year, I'll take it to one of those Coinstar places. And if you don't, if you don't ask for cash back, you can get gift cards for the full amount that you put in. And so usually, mom will take me shopping at the end of the year. I know. Uh, I know my sister has donated some in the past. I don't know what my aunts do, It. I think sometimes they'll just pick it up and, and, and keep it in the bottom of their purses, like rattling around. But I've never asked anybody else what they do with it. I will tell you, my ex-fiance and I started a tradition last year on the anniversary of my mom's death where we get two pennies, two rolls of pennies from like a gas station or convenience store, and we actually go drop pennies on the ground for other people to find and despite the fact that my ex-fiance is no longer in my life, I'm going to continue that as a tradition this year because I thought it was such a great idea that she had. It was such a great idea. I was really kind of low on that day. And she's like, what can we do on your mom? I was like, well, there's something with daffodils, which aren't really in season because I've been a florist before, so kind of know what's around, but or something with pennies. And she was like, well, maybe we could send up balloons. And I was like, that's a wildlife restriction in Chicago. And we'd get in trouble, you know, the whole thing. And she was like, well, what if we get two rolls of pennies and just go drop pennies for other people to find? And I'm like, that is a great idea. I would have never thought of that. So it's something I get to keep doing every year.
1: That's cool. But, you know, you can't go back to those places because then technically you'd be gaming the system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes,
2: exactly. I can't game the system for myself. Two dollars worth of pennies. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gaming this with this. You know, it's funny, though, is I used to, I used to work near where we dropped the pennies. And I went back to work that Monday, and they were all gone. Like people pick up pennies pretty quickly in Chicago. I think mostly kids and that's stuff cool. and adults will just step on them. But, but yeah, they were all gone. I even looked for some of the ones that we dropped, and I didn't see any. So they either blew away or were picked up. So that made me really happy.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That's I like that. That's a really cool <laughs> idea to honor your mom and to also give people because other people are probably get joyful from finding money for different reasons too right so like it's just a system that keeps on giving i like that and so it was definitely a
2: pass it on kind of lady yeah
0: yeah so on the podcast you talked about your dreams and stuff and so we always like to ask our guests is what dream would they want to have if they could of their loved one that passed away
1: Hmm. i would love
2: this has got to be some kind of pipe dream because it's so explicit in its detail. (laughs) But I would love for whenever, if and ever I have a partner I decide to spend the rest of my life with, I would love on the night before the wedding to have her appear in a dream and give me her blessing. I would love to just see her either standing with them or standing with me or helping me get ready and a dress or However, however it pans out that the wedding's going to be planned, I would love to meet her the night before I get married or committed or however it's panning out legally to just say, I'm here. I approve. I love you and have always loved you. Just these messages of, This is my wish for you. And it's okay that this is happening. That would really just transform my life in so many ways. And it's not that I don't feel that energy already, but to have it spoken and to have her visit me that way in a dream would just be really powerful
0: yeah no I've heard of other people before they got married let's say if they lost their spouse before they got remarried they had a their spouse come to them in a dream and approve of the marriage so it's not like mm-hmm. unheard of So I think that yeah that's very interesting and so what do you want her to be wearing Do you want her all dressed up ready to attend hmm.
2: you know what's funny is I always pictured myself eloping I've never really pictured myself getting married with this huge ceremony but um Her favorite color and a color that she wore as a result of having breast cancer was like hot pink. She wore hot pink hoodies all the time. She had t shirts. The organization that sent her and my dad on that trip had pink uh, as their logo. So she was wearing hot pink all the time. I would just love to see her decked out in something hot pink. I think she'd be very colorful. She's a very colorful lady.
0: Nice. Okay, I like that. And so you're indoors, mm-hmm. you're saying, right? Getting ready.
2: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: And then what are you going to be wearing?
2: Something that you can uh, walk in the woods with. I always had a dream of getting married in the woods. Oh. Um, so probably like something long sleeve, something uh, white, of course, a dress. But, yeah, and something what, very what, simple and very pretty, not too ornate. But I, I don't know. I just have this picture of her because, because well, her mom didn't get to help her get married either because she died before then. So I don't really have a, a good image in my head of women helping each other get married for a ceremony. But I imagine she's either helping me with a veil or – Um, double-checking my flowers or if I did the flowers myself she'll be asking me what they are and um, maybe tucking something into that um, the bouquet to to hold of hers but mostly just just holding my hands looking into my eyes and saying this is I see you in this and I love you in this and you're my daughter and I wish you all the best
0: well I I like I like that dream and I like that you're really planning the specific moment for it. That's, I think that's the first time we <laughs> heard, you know, heard that, but Hey, you know, like, why not? And if, if that's something that's on your mind, you know, like I hope you get that once you find sort of the right person to be with and, you know, she can I'll come. Keep yeah yeah so so find that find that special lady and and uh even invite us maybe if you invite us they give you even more uh <laughs>
2: <laughs> that'd be such a blast and this, over here, I would this table come. over here is the you have two guests already.
0: <laughs> yeah so you can't really elope without telling anyone
2: <laughs> you have
0: to be there to manifest this dream for you
2: <laughs>
0: right. right 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 that's true so thank you so much. Uh, we have like a little bit of time left. Is there anything else you want to maybe tell listeners, maybe tips you've learned about grief along the way?
2: Well, you know, what's interesting is, is, I wanted to take two seconds and talk about nightmares as well. And I know that might not be the best note to end on. But I noticed that with my grief, especially I find myself living her dying through dreams, I relive that memory a lot. And, and there's just this this pressing feeling, this anxious feeling, uh, like a panic attacky kind of symptom thing that happens whenever I have nightmares of my mom dying, whether I'm physically there in the dream or I'm somewhere else. And I guess I would just tell people who are reliving the nightmare of their experience to, to, I have this picture in my brain. This is an exercise I used to do in college when I was like making phone trees and stuff for the women's center where I volunteered. And it's it's to just have a list of your people. If you have one person, two people, three people that you can call at any time of day and just decompress. With them, one of my best experiences of having a nightmare of my mom dying was being on a cruise ship. And this was another of the trips that we took to honor her memory. Uh, Three years after she died, we took this trip last December. And I spent $100 to call collect from a cruise ship out in the middle of the ocean where there is not supposed to be phone service to call uh, my fiance at the time And I sat out on the the deck of this cruise ship, reliving this dream with her, coming down from this anxiety and this oh my God, she just died like it happened yesterday, and and coming down from this place, and she just talked me down with such this beautiful space from her heart. And as we were speaking, it was two in the morning, and so it was pitch black outside. It was like that scene in Titanic where it's just the black water and the black sky and nothing else. There were no cruise ships around us or anything. And wouldn't you believe it, but like we, I started to see shooting stars like comets come across the sky and i just i felt so led to this place to not only reach out for help when that happened but to be to be outside to be closer to her to call in her spirit when that happened because i know i'm reliving it because it was the worst moment of my life but it has asked me to have so many more beautiful experiences because of it whether that's connecting with other people over the phone or over text when i have these nightmares or or walking outside and seeing something really beautiful—it's—it's it's just. I don't want to diminish the power of these nightmares and the power of these memories, but I think it's so important that we put little mechanisms or systems into place that can help us move out of them quickly, so we can continue to see the beauty that has been put in our lives after grief.
0: Wow, that's—I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, like a lot of people do have nightmares following loss, especially the said so you're talking about the relieving of the the loss itself and so i'm glad you had someone to share that dream with and do you still have them now or have they sort of subsided
2: do i still have nightmares yes absolutely um
1: not not
2: too frequently okay but yes yeah of my mom dying um maybe like two or three times a year and when they happen they're really bad like it's it's Ah. pretty bad when they happen um But that's not as often as I see her in either neutral dreams where she's just a character roaming around while I'm doing something else or where I actually get to speak and talk to and touch her in the dream. She either um, comes in through a visitation where I get to interact with her, where she would like embrace me or hold me or I get to take a nap with her or, or she'll just be like some side character where like I'm talking to somebody else or I'm riding a roller coaster or something. She's like sitting in the back row where I don't really see her, but I know she's present. And then there are probably two or three dreams per year where I do relive my dad calling and t- telling me that she has died because I was not actually home when she died. But yeah, so so when they come up, I kind of just know, I know who my people are that I can I, reach out to.
0: That's good. It's interesting how you have all th- basically three different types throughout your journey and they continue on. That's very interesting. I find that fascinating, actually. On, it's kind know.
2: of fun. It's kind of, they've come with time.
1: Mm-hmm very interesting
2: i used, okay. used to just visit mm-hmm.
1: i think it's also even just great that she's got somebody she can talk to those about you know a lot of people don't have that or don't think that they can so i think that's even special in itself yeah. yeah there's nothing more
0: valuable than a good friend in a tough time so
2: and i insist on talking about her i will not i will never be silent about this loss good
0: and you shouldn't well it's changing you right so if something changed you you should want to talk about it uh, if anything, it inspires right. other people to be honest and have courage to face their own battles. So can, where can people find you?
2: Oh, yes. Um, the centralized location for me and all of my work is at com, which is my website. And you can, if you're in the Chicago area, I would be glad to do the grief recovery method which, with you, which is that action program based on the grief recovery handbook. I can also do distance Reiki, which is an energy channeling, Modality, I can do this over the phone. So no matter where you're located, any time zone, we can uh, click together and do that. If you're just looking for a community to be a part of, to talk either about dreams or about losses you've just experienced and find supportive people who are on the road to coming back where they're kind of past the initial acute phases of grief and into, okay, what now? What does the rebuilding look like? I do have a Facebook group called the Grief Growers Garden uh, because my my tagline for everything that i do is even through grief we are growing so it's the grief growers garden but yes my website will be the central hub for episodes of the podcast for working with me for finding that community and then just finding where i live on instagram and youtube and everywhere else on the internet
0: beautiful so we'll share that link in the uh what's it the the bio section And so, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. We uh, I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm glad Darwin was a part of this. And Darwin, can you share where people can listen to your uh, your stuff?
1: Sure. The podcast is dealing with my grief. Uh, You can find it in iTunes. Stitcher, iHeartRadio pretty much any place where you can listen to a podcast. And my website is dealingwithmygrief.com.
0: Beautiful. All right. So thank you both for being on here. It's almost like you're two guests, right? <laughs> so this mm-hmm. has been great. This has been so good. And so for just to end, uh, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca for more information on the topic. If you have Facebook, you can join the grief dreams Facebook group. I uh, also check out the Instagram and Twitter page at, at grief dreams. And if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, please email us your story and what you'd like to share at grief podcast at gmail.com. As always, with love and gratitude from us to you.